0: It's a birth story episode. Today I'm talking to Taryn Salling about her experiences giving birth in a rural part of America. But don't be fooled. You're going to learn from Taryn's experiences no matter where you're giving birth. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board certified OBGYN physician and certified integrative health coach. Every week I break down topics, share birth stories, or interview experts to help you have your very best pregnancy and birth. Quick note, the information is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. See the full disclaimer at ncrcoaching.com forward slash disclaimer. Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thank you for being here. I love spending this time with you sharing information to help you have your very best pregnancy and birth. So today we have a birth story episode. I kind of think these episodes are my favorite. I really enjoy hearing and learning from women's stories and today's episode most definitely delivers. Taryn Salling is a mom to three kiddos and she is also a virtual assistant. She happens to be my virtual assistant. She does my graphics. She helps me with email, social media, podcast production. And I asked Taryn to come on today to talk about her experiences giving birth in a rural area. Taryn lives in a rural part of Kentucky. Now, even though Taryn is talking about birth in rural America, you're still going to get something out of listening to her stories. She talks about the struggles with advocating for herself during her first birth, how she was able to do it differently for her second birth, and whoa, 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 the third birth You have got to hear that story. That really exemplifies what could happen when you don't have a hospital near you that delivers babies. Now, before we get into the episode, I have a quick question for you. Are you on my email list? Because being on my email list is actually the best way to stay in touch with me. I only send emails about once a week. I never do any spam. I don't sell your information. I use email to let you know about new podcast episodes, any special opportunities that I come across. And then once a month or so, I share some behind the scenes information about what I'm doing in my life, like books I'm reading, other podcasts I'm listening to, music I'm listening to. I give a sneak peek about upcoming episodes of the podcast. So definitely hop onto my email list. You can sign up at ncrcoaching.com forward slash email hyphen sign up. And I will put that link in the show notes. Now real quick, let me give a listener shout out. This is to Molly R02. Molly says, love the podcast, lots of solid evidence-based information with a down to earth delivery can't wait to hear more from the podcast. Well, thank you, Molly. I appreciate that review and I can't wait to give you more information through the podcast. So with that being said, why don't we go ahead and get right into the show and this awesome interview with Taryn Saling. Hey, Taryn, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I'm super excited that you're here.
1: Thank you for having me. I am very excited to be here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's start off with having you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family.
1: Okay. I am 34. I live in Kentucky and I have three children. My oldest is a boy. He just turned 13 in December. Okay. And I have two daughters, one of which is about to be 11. And the other just turned eight yesterday, actually. Um, I'm a virtual assistant. and You're my
0: awesome virtual assistant. Yay!
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and basically, me, in a nutshell, I read, I am a caffeine addict, and I love to do anything outdoors. Okay,
0: so. awesome. I like it. I like it. I'm a caffeine addict as well. A minimum of two cups of coffee a day. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So we are here to talk about your unique experiences giving birth, particularly living in a more rural area. So why don't we just start with your oldest and um, and we'll just go through each pregnancy and each birth and you'll, you know, share your story. Um, so let's just go for it. All right. Um, so with your with your oldest, let's start with what was your prenatal care like and how did you feel about the care you received during pregnancy? And I ask, because I feel like in order to understand about people's births, we gotta know a little bit about how their pregnancy went.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, prior to getting pregnant with my oldest, my ex husband and I, which is my kids' dad, we actually had a miscarriage several months before that. Mm. So I feel like that really influenced a lot right. about that pregnancy. I was very anxious, you know, very, very nervous, for sure. Very much wanting to do everything possible, you know, with that pregnancy to make sure that everything went well. So I ate, you know, everything that I was supposed to, and actually avoided caffeine for <laughs> the entire pregnancy, which is amazing to me now looking right. back. But right. So my doctor, I do, as you mentioned, live in you know more rural area, and we at the time didn't have any OBs in my county, so I had to to go about forty minutes away to an OB. And oh wow! So for
0: every appointment,
1: you had yes. to go forty minutes. Okay. Yes. Um, and actually, that will that will come into play with my third. Okay. Story. I'll explain that in a minute, but um. Yes, we. Our county no longer delivers babies in our hospital, so we don't have OBs here. They haven't for quite some time. Mm. But so basically, I went with suggestions. You know, people that I had that I was friends with and had known, what you know their experiences were with different OBs. So that was how I choose or, or chose that one, and. Honestly, my prenatal care was really good. The only issue I ever had, I just felt like I didn't get enough time with the actual doctor. Okay. During the appointment. Yeah, that's a common issue. Yeah. But I had a lot of time with his staff and nurses, and they did have an actual in office ultrasound and tech. So because of my previous miscarriage, they were really understanding. You know, we did. Uh, an ultrasound the first visit. We did an ultrasound. We did actually have like four ultrasounds. Okay. Just to, I think, alleviate my concerns to make sure that the baby was okay. Right. Right. That was really nice. Okay. Okay. But as far as that went, um, other than just the time, you know, it, everything went really well as far as my prenatal care. Okay.
0: Well, that's, well, that's good good to hear. So then when it came time to get ready to give birth, what did you do to prepare or if anything, to get ready to give birth?
1: I did. And, and I'm a bit of a nerd. And now back in those days, Google was not a thing, right? I'm the Google queen today. (laughs) And I'm the Google queen. But back in those days, I didn't have a smartphone. Uh, It was a flip phone, and uh, we had a dial-up internet connection. I was in college at the time.
0: Okay, you you really are taking it back with the dial-up internet connection.
1: Yeah, I (laughs) feel really old right now. I don't know if that's just because I'm old or because of where I live, but yeah. Well, if you're old,
0: then I'm definitely old because I'm 10 years older than you.
1: (laughs) That was what I had. It was the dial-up connection at the time. Right. But I did. I had the what to expect when you're expecting book. I had a friend to loan me her copy of, it was the Mayo Clinic's book about pregnancy and childbirth and labor and all of that. So I read everything and I went online, you know, read a lot of things. And I did decide before, well, for two reasons, actually, that I was not going to have an epidural. Okay. And why and Why was that? The first reason was from my research, just because for myself, uh, first of all, I, I have low blood pressure anyway. And during that first uh, miscarriage, my body didn't exactly do what it was supposed to do. I had to have a DNC because it didn't expel the fetus and all of that. Mm-hmm. And during that time, they acted like it was a huge deal. Like my blood pressure dropped really low. I didn't notice like, I didn't feel anything, right. but I, they didn't even want to let me out of bed after the procedure because my blood pressure was so low oh, and wow! all of these things. So when I was researching, that was one of the things that stood out to me that it could possibly drop your blood pressure that's true, and it I can. Yeah. that's, I don't even want to, I don't even want to, you know, cause any issues or have anything to go bad if I can help it. And then the second reason, a very close friend of mine, she had her baby about six months before I had Jagger, who's my oldest. And I got to be in the room with her. And because her husband had just stepped out to go to the cafeteria, I was in there with her when she had her epidural. Okay. And I'm not usually a big baby when it comes to needles. I'm pretty good about it. but. Right. That one's very big. And <laughs> I watched and I was like, uh uh-uh. uh
0: That that ain't uh-uh.
1: happening. I ain't doing it. No. So gotcha. that was what I, I had decided early on. I didn't want to have an epidural. I wanted to and probably just and this is such a silly reason looking back, but just that
0: just being able to say I did it without yeah, no, that's not a silly reason. You know, a lot of women do do that. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I So you read, read books. You had made the decision. You didn't want an epidural. Did you do anything else besides read books, like take any classes or anything?
1: I did. The hospital that I delivered at during that first pregnancy, my husband and I did go to a childbirth delivery class. And, you know, they taught the breathing and and the things like that. Right. So we did do that as well. Okay.
0: Okay. So then what was Jagger's birth actually like? Tell us about that.
1: Well, it was 37
0: weeks and three days.
1: I remember that because my first two children were that day exactly. I went to my OB appointment and it was the first time they did the check, you know, to see if I was dilated. And I was three centimeters and 50% thinned so I was the first time mom I was very excited I wanted to get this going right so I went home and he told me like how many minutes to wait and you know all of all of that before I came to the hospital well I went home and I guess looking back it was kind of the nesting instinct (laughs) um I got a little ridiculous. I took down all of the cartons in my entire house. Okay. <laughs> I washed them. Yeah, yeah. My My ex-husband still laughs about this. Right. Um. I took them all down. I washed them all. And then I went to Jagger's room. And, of course, I already washed all of his clothes, put them up. They were hanging up. They were in their drawers. They were organized. I rewashed
0: everything. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So
1: I did that. And then about two or three hours later the contractions were starting to get a little
0: uh, intense and oh is that somebody so, saying hi behind you yes <laughs> i'm so sorry no, that's okay uh,
1: these contractions are very very strong and um, they're very strong and i really think that we need to go ahead and go to the hospital right. and he's like they're not as close together as the doctors said they should be And I said, well, they're really, they're hurting, you know, and I was, I was excited. I just wanted to go. (laughs) So we did go. And one of the things my doctor found very funny was that on the way, because this hospital would not let you eat after you came in. Okay. So I'm an eater. I like food. So I made him stop. We have a dairy freeze about halfway between where we lived and in the hospital, and I made her stop and get me a grilled cheese, cheese sticks, and (laughs) milkshake. And we go to the hospital, and I know for a fact, it was 7 p.m. when I got there, because Gilmore Girls was on the air at the time, and during triage, that was what was on, and they were like, well, You're contracting fairly regularly. You know, we'll go ahead and keep you. So they kept me, and it was a very long labor. Honestly, it was not bad until they broke my water. Okay. And that was about, like, I got to the hospital at 7 p.m., and I had Jagger at 10.23 a.m. the next morning. It was really about, I think, 8 a.m. that next morning when they broke my water, and I was about 7 centimeters And that was really the point that it got really bad. Okay. At that point, honestly, everything I had learned, everything I had been taught in the classes and reading the books just kind of went out the door. Like, I don't have a lot of recollection about it. I just remember, like, holding on to the side rail and being really internal, you know, just really in my head and really just trying to make it through everything. And I can remember Sam, my husband, was being, you know, really sweet and he was like okay you need to remember to breathe and he was practicing these breaths and in my head i was just like shut up you know, Just like, stop talking to me i'm i'm doing this i'm doing it in my my way just quit now as far as the issues i had with that and this a lot of it falls on me I had a very clear picture of how I wanted things to go and what interventions I wanted to have or not have. Right. But I didn't communicate that very well to my doctor and we didn't really have that conversation. Okay. So first of all, when I'd only been there for like an hour, they started Pitocin. That was not anything I had been really prepared for. Right. Or just a regular labor. I had read that was just more for like if it wasn't progressing or things like that. So I wasn't really prepared for that. But I didn't question it, which again was
0: on me. I didn't really say, you know, why are you doing this? I don't need it. Blah blah blah. Well yeah, I mean in fair like I Okay, so yes, you could have asked, but we also should explain why the medication is being done. That's on us as healthcare providers to have a discussion about why pitocin is being started. It shouldn't just be started without any type of discussion.
1: And yes, and I agree with that too. I just I've always felt like I should have pushed a little, you know, and asked and and found out why and. Then the rest of the the actual delivery and looking back now, I, I realize and I I really can see that he was more concerned with getting out of there quickly. Okay. As opposed to what actually needed to be done, and I say that because I've I had two children after that, right? And so the experiences I had, I realized that some of the things that happened weren't necessary um they did do they did an episiotomy and didn't tell me what they were doing until they were
0: doing it oh and I had read a little bit even back then and wait I'm sorry did you and you didn't have an, any anesthesia well when they did the episiotomy they did what they told me was a pudental block okay Is that accurate? Uh-huh. yep
1: okay. Because she told me she was putting a shot there, and I asked, you know, what was that? And she told me, and I asked why, and she said because he's going to do an episiotomy. Well, at that time, I had read a lot that you know, episiotomies were kind of going out of you know the norm, right? And but again, I was I was Mm twenty, you know, when I had him, so I was young at. I wasn't very assertive and I just kinda went with it. And then I literally only pushed once before he used the vacuum extraction. What? Yeah, yeah. What? Was I, the heart rate I mean what? No, no, there was nothing. And that's and that's why and I I say that I realized later because I delivered two more babies and not to brag about because I have nothing to do with this, but my second doctor, she told me she said your body is just made for babies. Right. Like I just pushed that kid out in like two pushes, and I did the same with the third one, actually one push in the third one, and that's why I feel like he was just very rushed and just didn't want to be there. Right. So that experience was was very disheartening for me, mm-hmm. but. You know, Jagger came out healthy. He was fine. It was so I can't really say. You know, I mean, I wasn't super happy with the whole the process up till having him, but I mean, I have a healthy. He's thirteen years old, so I, I try to look at it that way. Yes. I will say that I I am a strong believer in everything that I've read about how episiotomy's recovery is so much worse right. than just tearing because. I did tear with the other two and the recovery was so much better with the last two, as opposed to the first, it was, it was a long recovery period for me.
0: Right. Well, let me say a couple of things. One folks, ladies, we should not do episiotomies routinely. Um, That's just not something that should be done. So Taryn is exactly correct about that and number two you have the right to be both happy that you had a healthy baby but upset with the experience I mean you, it didn't go exactly how you would have liked and it sounded like some things were done to you that you didn't really get a good explanation for and it's you know perfectly okay to be upset about that well
1: that's a good point I haven't really thought about it like that but yeah that's that's a really good point yeah
0: meaning they are holding themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. In addition to those omega-3 DHAs to support baby's brain development, Ritual also has choline and methylated folate to support baby's neural tube development. And the capsules feature a delayed release design to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. Why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was literally built on trust, so you know it's the real deal. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole start ritual or add essential for women prenatal to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole for 25% off. Okay, so that's, that's baby number one. So how were things different with baby number two?
1: well baby number two i was in nursing school actually at the time that i had her and originally i was going to have her at a different hospital so to be clear where i live we have pretty much two options we have one hospital that's 30 minutes to the north okay and one hospital that is 30 minutes to the south so when i was in nursing school when i found out i was pregnant I was in the mother baby unit of my nursing classes at this hospital to the south. So I was planning on having her there. To be quite honest, I don't even remember why I changed my mind, but I decided to go back with the original hospital. I think it's just because it was more known to me and that's where the majority of people around here have their babies. So against my better judgment, I did go back to the original OB that I had, and I was more clear with him that time, you know, that I wanted as little intervention as possible, you know, only intervention if it was necessary, Mm -hmm. you know, medically necessary.
0: Now, I'm curious, did you have any other options for other OBs that you could have gone to, or did you just know him and you kind of felt like, well, for the most part, he was okay or? A little bit of both.
1: There is not an abundance of options here. Mm. And so a lot of the other doctors, I didn't know anyone that had
0: been to them. Gotcha.
1: So they were kind of an unknown. Okay. So I did go back to him. and But I I was very, I was, I guess, more emboldened that time. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd been through it. I knew what to expect. So I was more vocal about what I wanted with this one. I think that would have made a difference, but honestly I actually did not get the chance to find out because
0: Oh, and let me ask before you go before you tell us, was he receptive when you were telling him about the yes. things that you wanted? Okay. Yes, he was. Okay. He was. Okay. So then you said you didn't have a chance because what happened?
1: Actually she was born uh just like my first one at thirty seven weeks and three days. Okay. And he was on vacation because it was spring break. So I actually had the on-call OB okay now this particular labor and delivery again I had the very strange nesting the night before I had decided I guess in my crazy nesting phase here that I was gonna go ahead and make sure that we had everything set up for her uh, even though it was a few weeks before so my husband worked third shift and I apparently rearranged all of our master bedroom furniture
0: <laughs>
1: and painted, and painted. I don't recommend any of this. Oh, just,
0: just my goodness. Disclaimer. Right.
1: Ladies, don't recommend it. But I painted the entire room, rearranged it, set it up where she could be in there with us, you know, the, the play yard, right. the changing table, all of that. And then at 5 a.m. the next morning, I woke up, and I was like, oh, oh, you know, ow, this is, this is hurting, right? You know, real contractions going on. And she was actually born at 1123. So it was a very fast labor with her. Okay. When I got to the hospital, they informed me, you know, that doctor, my doctor was on a vacation because it, it was spring break. And they told me who the doctor was that was on call. And she came in and talked to me and I asked her all the questions. You know, I asked her about, do you just routinely do Pitocin? Mm-hmm. And she was like, no, you know, only if it's an emergency, only if you're not progressing. Right. Da-da-da-da-da. Asked her all of it, the episiotomy, the vacuum. And she was very much in line with what I wanted. And good for you for asking. I would learned. I had learned. Yeah. <laughs> that delivery went, that labor and delivery went well. I was not in labor very long. And the only point that I got a little frustrated, they had inserted something to measure the, something
0: about the fluid and the pressure. Oh, I could be wrong about that. Maybe like exactly. the strength of the contractions? Like a, maybe. Okay, Is there some, and, there's something we use. We either use something called a fetal heart rate monitor or an intrauterine pressure catheter to measure the strength of the contraction. The second
1: one sounds accurate. And because of that, they would not let me get up. So when I had to use the Rice stream I was very aggravated because I couldn't get out of the bed and I actually, it's a funny story. My daughter finds this hilarious when I tell her they brought me a bedpan. I would never used one. And I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> I, I cannot use this. Right. And she was like, oh yeah, it'll be fine. And my, my husband, my ex-husband, Sam, he will, he laughs about this to this day. He's like, you were so comical. Trying to find a way, like I ended up trying, like squatting on the bed to just pee. Right. And like all of these things. And I ended up just getting really frustrated during a contraction. And I just threw the bedpan. It was in. It was in. But I threw it across the room because I was like, this is not can't working. do, this. Can't do Right. It. Right. And it was actually just a few minutes later that I was telling the nurse, I said, I really need to push. And she was like, no, you were just seven. You know, you were just seven. You're it's, it's still a while. And I, I was like, no, Trust me. Trust me. Right. I need to push. Okay. I've done this. I I recognize this feeling. It's it's gonna happen. Cause she kept saying, "Just wait. Just wait till the doctor gets in here. She's on her way." And I was like, "I can't wait. I right. can't wait." And the doctor actually was only able to come in and throw her gloves on because the nurse finally believed me and checked me, and she was like, "Oh yeah, yeah. You're, we're about to have a baby." Right. The doctor threw her gloves on. She actually broke the light—the light that comes down out of the ceiling that mm. they have at a hospital. Uh-huh. She was trying to get it down in time, and it actually broke. She didn't; she wasn't able to put on her her gown or anything. She just threw her gloves on, and then the baby came out, and that's why she told she told me. She said, "Your body was just made to have babies." <laughs> you know, I don't know what to tell you. Right? She did that. Delivery went very well. I was really happy with it. Um. Bella, that is my middle daughter. She did have to spend some time in the NICU. She had some fluid in her lungs, okay, and they did notice that really quickly that she was breathing a little bit uh, rapidly. And the way it was explained to me at that time was just kind of like with the C-section, where they don't get squeezed enough uh-huh, to get she came through so
0: quickly. Yet. Yeah, okay.
1: So she spent a little time in there, and less than twenty-four hours, and she was. Good to go.
0: Okay. Okay. So overall, that experience was, and again, you did it without an epidural. Yes. Okay. And then, did you do anything different to prepare? Any more books or classes or anything, or same kind of stuff?
1: I read a little bit more of the books, just just kind of a refresher. But I didn't do another class. And honestly, I kind of feel like I got off a little easy with her. I mean, 5 a.m. to 11 it was just six hours. Yeah. Honestly. Like an hour of that was difficult. The rest of it was just kind of painful, but it wasn't that difficult. Gotcha. It wasn't that hard. So how about baby number three? Oh, this is my favorite word to tell. So I do live in a rural community, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. They they changed a lot of their rules at the hospital I had gone to, and they wouldn't let you videotape babies being born anymore they wouldn't let you have more than two people in the room just a lot of things that i was not really happy about okay because i wanted it to be more of a not so much like a surgical procedure but more of a
0: yeah like a normal natural kind of thing yeah
1: exactly so we do have a city that's about an hour and a half away and they have a few hospitals that are very much they were more progressive at the time, you know, toward having births with low intervention and no medication mm-hmm. and making it more homey and all of that. So I chose to go there during that time. And that's where I had my prenatal care. And so it was an hour and a half drive.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: But I loved the doctor. I absolutely loved her. Toured the hospital, loved the hospital, loved the mother-baby unit, the delivery, everything. Right. Now, I had just had an appointment with my doctor. Everything was fine. You know, the baby was great. There was no sign, which, of course, they weren't checking me at that time because I was 35 weeks. But everything was good. And then, at it was like three days later, at 35 weeks, looking back now, because I should have realized this, but I had the little goofy nesting thing going on like normal. And I did all kinds of weird stuff like I hadn't even had my baby shower so I just had this really strong pull to just run to the store and get diapers and like all of the just absolute necessities right for a baby like the bedroom wasn't even done yet nothing was done
0: but something was telling you to just get necessities yes mm.
1: So, in that night, now my husband worked third shift again. I had two little kids. I had a five-year-old and three. Well, she was not even three yet. She was close to three. I put them in bed. My back was hurting very badly. And the back was always a big, big thing for me. But, of course, you know, I had tiny kids. I was busy. I was doing a lot of things. I was cleaning the house. I was just, you know, going nuts. And I thought, well, it's, you know, I'm pregnant. My back hurts. So I went ahead and went to sleep because it didn't feel like contractions. It was just kind of a constant pain. Right. And I woke up at three o'clock that morning and my contractions, like I knew they were contractions. Mm-hmm. I knew they were very bad. And I was like really alarmed because I was. this is not usually how it feels until right before. So I remember grabbing the clock off the wall and holding it and staring at it. And I was like... These contractions are like three and a half minutes apart. Like this is bad. Mm. This is bad. So I called my husband. Well, I called my doctor first, but of course I got the answering service, and they
0: were
1: back. You know, it's the middle of the night. Right. Well, I called my husband, and he was at work and in like thirty minutes away. So I said, I really think you need to come home now. And I called my parents to come watch my kids. And then so my husband got there, and by the time he got home, which he got there very fast, I couldn't walk to the door. Like, it was that bad. And I was like, oh, no. I told him, I said, we are not going to make it to the hospital, like the right. one we deliver at. I said, "The let's just go to the closest ER, mm-hmm. and they can take me by ambulance. Because I'd rather have a baby in an ambulance than on the side of the road with you. Like, right. no
0: offense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah. So, it was raining, and I do remember he was like, put your seatbelt on. Put your seatbelt on. And I'm having a contraction. And I'm like, will you shut up, please? <laughs> like, just just get to the hospital. Right. And, again, this local hospital, they don't, don't deliver babies at all. Haven't in, like, 15 years. Right. Now... Me being me, I just assumed that they would be maybe at least a little trained, you know, for emergency situations,
0: but they weren't <laughs> Yeah. And that's it, something that it, folks don't realize. Hospitals that don't usually do labor and delivery. And I mean, the, you know, the last time they may have delivered a baby may have been in medical school even, yes. you know, so.
1: It it was, it was kind of a shock for me. They took, you know, we, we checked in and, and all of that and, I can recall, and this is such it's such a silly thing, but the nurse that I had, he was a male, and again, i I'd, I'd been through nursing school, and I'd done really well in nursing school because of because of hormones in my my pregnancy, I had quit because there was it's a whole other story. But um, he started an IV, and then he was trying to get my blood pressure, and then he was griping at me because I couldn't be still, and I finally I was like, I'm having a contraction. I'm not going to be still. You're going to have to wait. So my, my husband had gone out to move the car because, of course, he pulled up right to the, the door, mm-hmm. you know, that got me in and then went to go put the car back. The doctor at the ER had told me that I was only five centimeters. Now, I'd had two babies without epidurals. I knew he was lying. Oh. And my husband, on his way back in, heard him on the phone with the hospital that delivers babies, the one that's 30 minutes away. Right. And he was saying she's eight to nine and we need to get her there. So he was, he knew I was about to have a baby, but they didn't know what to do. So he was trying to get me to there. So my husband came back and he told me what he said. And I was like, I could have told you that dude. Like, I know I'm about to have this baby. Right. I I know. And they called an ambulance. And again, I'm five weeks early at this point. No, she's she's considered a preemie and this had only been
0: a couple hours maybe from when the contraction started i
1: started having i woke up to contractions at 3 a.m and
0: she was born at 5 a.m dang okay it was very
1: fast they they called the ambulance to come get me and they put me on the gurney and i didn't want an epidural but i told them i said if i'm gonna ride all the way to owensboro which is the the city with the hospital can i have something for pain right and they're like no we can't give you anything da, 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 da. I was already really irritated about that and they put me on the gurney for to put me in the ambulance and I felt the need to push and I didn't say a word I didn't tell them I did nothing I pushed and I broke my water <laughs> all over all <laughs> over the gurney <laughs> and you've never seen so many people freaked out they were all like put her back on the bed put her back on the bed get her back on the bed so they did. And I literally, I just grabbed my legs and I pushed one more time and she just came out on the bed. Mm. No one caught her. No one in the emergency room physician's face is forever etched in my brain. Oh my He God. looked so freaked out. It was like, oh, what? Oh and my goodness. There was an EMT there. He was going to take me and I knew him really well. He, when I did a lot of health education classes at our vocational school in high school, he and the clubs and all of that, he was always there teaching us CPR, going with us to competitions and all of this. And while the emergency room doctor was just kind of standing there staring at her, like he, his name is Ralph, he ran over, like didn't even pause. He just grabbed her. And he took off with her. And I, I remember seeing her. She was really blue.
0: Oh, my gosh. And
1: he just grabbed her and took off across the hall. And later, come to find out, they didn't even have any type of suction for infants in the hospital. Right. He worked on her with a bulb
0: syringe, like the bulb syringe. I know you know what I mean. Yes. Like, I mean, it's just like, literally, it's just a little bulb syringe. You get it. Yes. Like it, what you use to yeah. clear out the baby's nose. Right. And he worked on her until she was breathing. She didn't cry,
1: but she was breathing. And then he and he took her in the ambulance, and my husband went with them. Later, my husband said that Ralph care, he held her the whole time and made sure she kept breathing and he was crying the entire time. When I did get to the hospital and we pulled up to the ER, Ralph had sat there and waited for me to tell me that as soon as the NICU got her, they got her crying within 30 seconds, and she was fine. Oh, wow. He sat there for probably an hour and a half by the time I got there, just to make sure I knew.
0: Oh, that's goodness.
1: And it did take so long, because bless his heart, that ER doctor did not know how to deliver a placenta. He did not, uh, I had tore, which I would tore before with my second child, and I knew what it felt like, and um, he was trying to deliver the placenta, and I kept flashing back to nursing school, and I was like, no, you're not supposed to pull. Stop, stop, you know, like this is not, you're right. doing it, don't do it. And so after like 30 minutes of him attempting to do that, he just finally was like, you're just gonna have to wait till you get to
0: Owensboro. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode, and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favorite to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy into Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing, producing a podcast involves time, effort and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content, it all adds up Again, that's DrNicoleRankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the all about pregnancy and birth community. Now back to the show.
1: So I rode in the back of the ambulance, strapped down to the to the gurney, with my placenta still in my uterus. Right. The umbilical cord, you know, hanging exactly. out. Yep. And I had torn. And no pain meds they wouldn't even give me anything for pain at that point so
0: wait 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 so oh, no. you had just had a baby yeah tore yes still the placenta's there and you got this long ambulance ride and they wouldn't <laughs> give you any pain medicines no,
1: they would not give me anything. They said that I needed to wait until I got to Pearl to be assessed.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Yes, it was the longest. And it was raining. It was raining so hard that night. So they, And it wasn't an emergency, you know, so they weren't, like, they didn't have their lights on or their sirens on. They weren't going, like, you know, super fast. Right. It was just one more ride. Oh, my God. So, it was horrendous. Now, once I did get there, the on-call doctor took care of that very quickly, uh, so that was not not a big deal. But I was not a happy person on the ride to the hospital. I, I was bet. not happy.
0: Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what that must have been like for you. It
1: was. It was a horrible. But I do. It is a very. It's it's an entertaining story, and my daughter who just turned the daughter that this occurred to, she turned eight yesterday and every year on her birthday, I tell her the story. We see Ralph in Walmart. She knows who he is. You know, I've, <laughs> I've introduced her. I'm right. Like, this is the man. And he did. He saved her life.
0: Yeah. If
1: it wasn't for him, I don't, I mean, she would have, I, she wouldn't be here. I really believe that. Right. I don't, Right. I don't think anyone else there had the, what it took to take care of her and get her breathing and, and all of that.
0: Right, exactly. Oh and, my goodness.
1: And every year I tell her the story, and I tell her, I was like, You came out like a little tornado. <laughs> you have, and she has, she's been that way ever since. And being born that way and five weeks early, literally the only thing that she had uh, issues with, she had two issues. Her blood glucose was low and so they had to give her glucose water in the nursery. And I'm assuming I always assumed it was because she was preemie. She had a very hard time with the sucking reflux.
0: Yeah, that's one of the last things that, that yeah. babies get is the ability to suck, swallow and breathe at the same time. So
1: Yeah, that was the only thing we had an issue with. It was just for a week or so just that was it. Right. Every Else, she was great her lungs were great she she was preemie and she was jaundice which all of my kids were and you know had just a little bit of time under the lights and you know it, it resolved itself easily but uh, I always tell her she looked like a little bird when she was born because <laughs> she didn't have any fat on her yeah you know, right. she she's really tiny
0: yeah
1: and uh, but she's She's gorgeous. She's absolutely gorgeous
0: now. <laughs>
1: she is a force of nature just like she came out.
0: Exactly, exactly. Now, I, you know, I listened to your story and the the last one in particular obviously <laughs> highlights some of the challenges that women have when they are in rural areas and I don't know that you know, this is something that that something that we struggle with within our profession about how to make sure all women have good access to care. And I wish I had a good answer for this, but um, I can't say that, that I do. What, what are some things that you think women can do who live in rural areas to help them have a great experience, both during pregnancy and prenatal care and for giving birth?
1: I think, and I've thought a lot about this over the years, I think there's really two things. Because, again, there's not an ideal options in different hospitals and things like that. But there are two things I can think of. First is to be really informed about what you want and to not be afraid to say so. So, you know, if you don't have a lot of options, ideally, you know, you want to find a doctor that is in line with your beliefs, is comfortable like for instance in my case i wanted to have an unmedicated you know no epidural ideally i would have wanted to find a doctor who was very comfortable with that but if you can't because of where you live and the access i think it's all the more important to know exactly what you want to have your birth wishes to have those conversations with your doctor and even have support people who can advocate for you when you aren't able to speak. You know, if if you're in the, the throes of, of labor and you're not able to have coherent conversations, mm-hmm. to have someone there that is like, okay, this is what she wants. Unless it's an emergency, this is what we need to do. You right. know,
0: if, if right. we don't
1: want to have this. We don't want to have that. Unless, you know, there's something wrong with the baby. Right. Right, And then I think also one thing, especially with my last one, I think, and this happens with a lot of first-time moms, if you're in a rural area and you don't have a hospital very close, you know, if if your your nearest hospital is 30, 40 minutes away, I know it can be very difficult because in my case, a lot of times I thought, I don't know if I'm in labor, I don't know if this is a contraction, I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't want to go and feel stupid, you know, and be sent home. Right. But for instance, with the last one, I really wish that that night when I was having so much back pain, I had a went and just been checked, you know, for to see what was causing the back pain. It could have been a lot different. I could have delivered her in a hospital that delivered babies. So I think just to, trust your instincts mm-hmm. and just kind of get rid of that embarrassment factor you know if you have a hospital five seconds away it's not so much of an issue but if you're in a rural area and your hospital is 30 to 40 minutes away you just really have to just let go of that I'm going to be embarrassed I mean right. the worst we are going to do is say no you're not in labor this is Braxton, Braxton Hicks or you're not in active labor, you know, whatever, and send you home. But it's a lot better than the alternative, you know, of delivering in a hospital emergency room that doesn't deliver babies or delivering on the side of the road. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes. That both excellent pieces of advice. Don't be afraid to, even if your options are limited, you can still advocate for yourself and go ahead and get checked if you need to trust your instincts go in if you need to um, because you just don't have the luxury of time necessarily yeah yeah Yeah. so are there any other resources that you would recommend for women I do
1: recommend that every first-time mom takes some sort of childbirth education and and honestly it doesn't even if you want an epidural like my sister-in-law she was in labor for, I think, 12 hours before she was able to get an epidural. So the breathing, you know, all of the techniques they teach you, the education you get when you take that course is, is helpful. And it could be a lot more helpful than what you expect, especially if you want an unmedicated birth. Right. You know that. So you know what to expect, and it just takes a lot of the fear out of. The whole situation you know it, it when you when you don't have to deal with the unknown it it helps a lot with your mental state so i definitely recommend you know taking a course of some sort to prepare yourself and even refresh you know if, if you're a second time mom and it's been you know, my children were very close together you know if you haven't had a child for five years things have changed there's you know there's a lot of differences or you've gotten whatever the case may be i think that being knowledgeable and being prepared is the best thing you can do and also being really clear about what you want and you know, whether that be you know your birth wishes talking to your support person if you don't have a partner getting a doula or you know a friend or something to be there with you who can advocate for you when you're not able to say to the you know birthing team hey i don't want this i think those are huge assets to have you know your your wishes explicitly you know spelled out and to have people at least one person with you who knows them and can say look this is what she wants this is what she needs this is what we would like for you to do
0: okay perfect so i think that is a great way to end make sure you have some childbirth education educate yourself in whatever way you feel it works best for you you know whether that's an in-person class online class of course i'll put a plug in for my own course or whatever books whatever you want to do uh do some type of childbirth education and have somebody there to advocate for for yourself. Outstanding mm-hmm. advice and things that I try to stress with women as well. Okay. So where can women connect with you? Are you on social media or anything at all? Or I am
1: okay. um, on Facebook, Taryn Sailing uh, on Facebook, on Instagram. So you know, either one of those slices is great to find me if you have any
0: questions or you know, want to chat. Okay, and Taryn is also, of course, in the um, podcast community Facebook. Facebook group. So if you have any questions for her after the episode, then absolutely post them there and she will get back to you right away. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Taryn. This has been really informative. I think you've given some great advice in terms of um, the things that people do have control over. And that is really empowering themselves with knowledge and education and being able to advocate. So I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you
1: so much for having me.
0: Okay. And of course, I will talk to you later all right okay all right bye bye man wasn't that something that third story especially was like oh my goodness now after each episode where i have a guest on i do something called nicole's notes where i give just my top three or four takeaways from the episode so here we go with nicole's notes from this episode so number one Taryn talked about how it can be challenging to advocate for yourself and it can, it can be hard to advocate for yourself, especially against someone who's considered an authority figure like a doctor. But let me tell you, you can do it and it's important that you do do it. Taryn was able to do it the second time around and she talked about how it made a difference in her birth experience. So for sure get comfortable with advocating for yourself. And if you can't, if you feel like it's really hard for you, then find someone who can be with you, who can advocate on your behalf. Now to be clear, advocating doesn't mean you have to be mean or nasty or anything like that. Approach it from a place of kindness, unless you have to take it to a mean and nasty place because they aren't responding to kindness, but start from a place of kindness, be comfortable with advocating for yourself so you can have the experience that you want and deserve. All right. Number two, talk to your doctor ahead of time about your wishes. This is one of the things that Taryn said that she wish she would have done is to talk to her doctor about her wishes. This will help you know if you and your doctor are on the same page, clearly communicate what you want, and it gives you the opportunity to know if you need to change to another doctor or hospital that's more in line with what you're looking for. This is one of the things that it should be a part of making your birth plan or more appropriately, birth wishes, because none of us can plan birth. So I say birth wishes instead of birth plan, but this should be a part of your birth plan, not just like templates and checking off check boxes and that kind of thing. It really should be a discussion with your provider. Now I have a free one hour mini course on how to make your birth plan in crcoaching.com forward slash birth plan. I'll put that link in the show notes. And in that, I give you specific questions you can ask to really help facilitate this process and this communication and this discussion. All right, number three, there is a little bit of tension, for lack of a better word, between having a healthy baby and how you feel about your experience of your birth. Taryn almost felt guilty in a way, you know, saying that she didn't have a good experience with her first birth because in the end her baby was healthy. You know, there's a lot of pressure in our society where it's like, oh, you should just be happy that you have a healthy baby and that you are healthy. Well, I'm here to tell you that it is okay. In fact, it's perfectly normal for you to have thoughts and feelings about your experience giving birth. It actually annoys me when people say, Oh, you should just be happy. You have a healthy baby. I feel like it's a manifestation of society's control over how women think. But it's perfectly okay for you to have thoughts about your birth. You can both be happy that you have a healthy baby and not happy with parts of your experience at the same time. Now, hopefully you have a great experience uh, and you're happy with the experience. But if for some reason you're not, that's okay. Just don't let it detract from your experience of being a mother and enjoying your new baby. That's the caveat that I'll give to that. Okay. So what were your takeaways? Let me know in the podcast community Facebook group. That's all about pregnancy and birth podcast community on Facebook. I will link to that in the show notes. And also don't forget about joining my email list. Go to ncrcoaching.com forward slash email hyphen sign up. And that link will also be in the show notes. Next week on the podcast, I have a pediatrician on who's going to give you some great advice on how to choose a pediatrician. So come on back next week. And until then, I wish you a healthy and happy pregnancy and birth. Today's episode is brought to you by Women's Wellness Coaching by Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins. Head to ncrcoaching.com to check out my free one-hour mini course on how to make your birth plan, as well as my comprehensive online childbirth education class, the Birth Preparation Course. With over eight hours of content and a private course community, the birth preparation course will leave you knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered going into your birth. Head to ncrcoaching.com to learn more.